Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. We are going to be finishing up our study in Philippians today. So we are in chapter four, I know, right? <laughs> there are in this study, we all, we all recognize, may not, there's been a word that Paul has been using repeatedly that really does sum up the theme of this letter that he has written to the people of Philippi, and that word is rejoice, right? No surprise, rejoice. We can have a contagious, deep-seated joy when we have confidence that Christ is in full control. Not just over the big things of our lives, but also the little things as well. That He is sovereign and that He is in control of everything. And on that basis, we can then be joyful people. Amen? Amen. So as we have discovered in in the first part of Philippians chapter 4, where we were last week, such joy can be applied to strained relationships as well as to difficult circumstances intended to bring us to a worry-free place as we fix our minds on things above and, and become transformed individuals covered in God's wonderful peace and like what we just sang about, His amazing grace. Are you thankful for that grace this morning? I am as well. As Paul wraps up this great letter, he brings it home by discussing the dynamics of God's providence because he's sovereign and in control, God's providence and its connection to our actual contentment. There is a connection there, and, and I really want us to do our best to not allow our minds to drift out of this room. Forget about what you're going to be doing when you leave this place. Let's really try to listen to God's word because here's my reason even for saying that. This is what he's finishing up the letter with, providence and contentment. So that says to me, pay attention, (laughs) listen up, open those ears and receive what the spirit of God would have to say. Sound good? All right. Very good. This was something that Paul had learned, this, this whole concept of providence and contentment, something that he had learned, and it is what he chooses, as I just said, to finish up with. For Paul, instead of having and being controlled by spiritual ups and downs as the situations around him would continually change, for better or for worse, he continued on, undeterred, steadily, faithfully serving Jesus Christ. His personal references at the close of this letter indicate that he was not the victim of circumstances. Instead, he was the victor over the circumstances. That's why he can write things that we're going to be seeing today in this last part of chapter 4. I can accept all things, verse 11. I can do all things, verse 13. I have all things, verse 18. Paul did not have to be pampered to be content. What do you think about that? 
did not have to be pampered, we Americans, <laughs> to be content. He found his contentment in the spiritual resources that were and are abundantly provided by Christ. Now, listen, contentment is not complacency, okay? The complacent believer is a believer who might be a believer but is unconcerned about others. While the contented follower of Christ wants to share and be a blessing to others. Contentment is not escape from the battle, but rather an abiding peace and a confidence in the midst of a battle. The word content actually means contained, okay? It's what it, the word means. It, it is a description of someone whose resources are within so that they do not have to depend on substitutes from without. The Greek word means self-sufficient and was a favorite word of the Stoic philosophers. In other words, you remember when we went through Acts and we discovered that those Stoics in Athens were all about themselves and were totally self-sufficient, not recognizing their need for God. It is interesting that the Apostle Paul is choosing a word that they would have been familiar with, but he's reversing it on them. <laughs> I like this because he's saying, now, I can do all of this stuff because of Christ. My sufficiency isn't of my own. It's because Christ lives within me. There's where the sufficiency is. So the Greeks understood that. Paul reverses that the Christian is not sufficient in and of themselves, sufficient in Christ, because Christ lives within. We have all that we need, folks. We have all that we need to meet the demands that the world throws at us, no matter what it is, no matter what adversity, no matter what trial, no matter how severe, no matter the circumstance, good or bad. In Christ, we have everything we need because he is more than enough to get us through, to see us through. And not just hanging on by the skin of our teeth, but victoriously. And in the midst of being victorious, having and experiencing joy, being content in Christ Jesus. He provides that for us. All right, verse 10, that's where we're picking it up. We left off at verse 9 last week. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Now, let me just say right from the beginning here, this is not Paul saying, well, it's about time. <laughs> He's not saying that. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. So let's talk about this. And what we're finding here, and right from verse 10, Paul is addressing this idea of the overruling providence of God. In our day of technological and scientific advancements, it seems that we hear less and less about the providence of God. 
It would appear that our world considers all of the achievements that we are experiencing are because of human superintelligence and superiority, completely leaving God out of the picture. But the Word of God clearly teaches the providential workings of God, not only in our lives, but in nature as well. He's got it all covered. It's all because of Him. The word providence comes from two Latin words. The first word being pro, P-R-O, which means before, okay? And the second word comes, is a Latin word, which would in Latin be pronounced video. We would look at that word, V-I-D-E-O, and say what? Video. And guess what the word means? To see. Interesting. So then God's providence simply means that God sees to it beforehand. We have a good God, don't we? It does not mean that God simply knows beforehand because providence involves so much more. It is the working of God in advance to arrange circumstances and situations for the fulfilling of His purposes. (laughs) The familiar story of Joseph, I think, is a great example of God's providence. We all know that story, don't we? And so just kind of a real quick run through it. He's sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused, lands in prison, spends some time there, and then eventually ends up second in command of all of Egypt. Now, if that's not divine providence, you tell me what is, (laughs) right? And so 20 years later, from the time he got sold, he's reconciled to his brothers. And at that point, they then understand what's been going on. They begin to understand the hand of God at work in the whole thing, especially made clear when Joseph says to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you know the words, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what he is now what is now being done the saving of many lives wow god knew all along arranging situating organizing the providence of god his hand ruling and overruling at times in the affairs of our lives Paul experienced this divine providence himself in his own life, which is why he wrote in Romans 8.28, another verse you're familiar with. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love him, to them that are called according to his what? Purpose. God in his providence had caused the church at Philippi, to become concerned about Paul's needs. And it came at the very time when Paul needed it the most, their love, their care, their concern from anybody, and it happens to be the church at Philippi. Paul needed that, and and they had been concerned. He lets us know. We're not given the details of why they initially when he first left Philippi and once continued on his missionary travels, they were involved. Uh, 
blessing him with financial gifts and support and prayer and all those kinds of things. And then somehow there must have been some sort of gap in there somewhere where that ceased. And Paul, that's what he's saying here in verse 10. We're not given the details of why, but somehow they are able to pick it back up and are sharing and giving generously to the Apostle Paul in his ministry, the furtherance of God's gospel once again. And that's what we all wrapped up in verse 10. And that's what he's thanking them for. He's letting them know that. I think it's interesting as we read that 10th verse again, it, it says, you know, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm revisiting that real quickly because I think today we've reversed that. We've got lots of opportunity, but no concern. Newsflash. Life is not a series of accidents. It is a series of appointments. Oh, my goodness. Divine appointments. This is the providence of God. And it is a wonderful source for godly, biblical contentment. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Now, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need. In other words, he's, you know, he's not fishing for more. <laughs> I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then one of the verses that Paul is known for, I can do all of this. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, which is Christ Jesus. We're being talked to here by Paul in these verses about the unfailing power of God. We notice that Paul is quick to let his friends in Philippi know that he is not complaining. He's, again, like I said, not fishing for more. He, his joy does not depend on circumstances or things. His joy comes from something deeper. And he's saying, this is what I've learned. This has been my experience. This has been my discovery. And I want it to be your discovery as well. It's not about circumstances, not about things. My joy comes from a deeper place, something apart from either prosperity or poverty. Now, this word learned in verse 12 is actually different from the word learned in verse 11. They, on, when translated, it looks like the same word, but they actually are two different words with two different meanings. In verse 11, it refers to knowledge, learning information, knowledge, and it does mean that. But in verse 12, it means initiated into a secret. And, and that's the terminology that Paul uses here. That's how the NIV has translated it. Initiated into the secret. This word was used, as some of you know, by the pagan religions with reference to their secret, their inner secrets. 
It still goes on today. The cults and false religions of our day have their little inner secrets. And it was so then. And so here again we find Paul reversing that on them. Through trial and testing, Paul was, and is saying to us, initiated into the wonderful secret of contentment. <laughs> In spite of poverty or prosperity. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's saying it was the power of Christ within him that provided the spiritual contentment. Had nothing to do if he was in want or not. Oh, how we need to learn that, folks. Because we are so controlled about what we have or don't have. We are so allow that to determine where we are emotionally and being satisfied or not. Paul says, none of that matters. It absolutely has nothing to do with where my joy is. Can we say that? Think of it like this. All of nature depends on hidden resources. So, for example, consider a strong, tall, flourishing tree. Where does it receive its nutrients? Its roots go down deep, right? Receiving water and minerals from the earth. The most important part of a tree is that which we cannot see, its roots, below the surface. And the most important part of the Christian's life is the part that only God sees, which I'll refer to as the inner faith system, liking it to the tree's root system. Unless we draw on the deep resources of God, that which He provides by faith, faith. We don't do well against the pressures of life. Have you found that to be true? Yeah. Paul depended on the Lord's power working in his life. I can <laughs> dot, dot, dot through Christ. That was Paul's motto. And you know what? I want to encourage you and challenge you. That can be our motto as well. and should be. Ought to be. You can be sure of this. Whatever your conditions are today, they will certainly change. There's a part of that that sometimes I don't like. You know, I like, you know, when you have are experiencing good things and, and relationships and people, but things change, people move. <laughs> and what we experienced and enjoyed 10 years ago is gone and not happening now. And it doesn't mean we still aren't having good time and fun and joy in Jesus. It just changes. And that's the part that I sometimes don't like. <laughs> and you might be the same. Change is hard, isn't it? But I want you to know that that is life. Nothing stays the same. Saying all that to say this, and so today, if you find yourself on the mountaintop in a great place, good for you, but there's a valley in your future. <laughs> and if today you're in the valley, I got good news, just around the corner in your future is a mountaintop. Amen. But here's the problem. 
If you are someone who can only be content when on the mountaintop, then you find that those times in the valley, you're not experiencing joy. You're not content. In fact, if you're someone who can only have it up here, then you're going to find yourself happy, joyful, content very seldomly in your life. Does that make sense? Think about that. I encourage you to take a look at where you are today in your life. Examine in your life, in your heart right now. And make it a choice to say, no matter what, on the mountain, in the valley, in between, regardless of the circumstance, good or bad, it's all good. Because I've got Jesus. (laughs) And he's more than enough. We can be content right where God has us. I want, I want to emphasize that because I think there again, we might find ourselves at times maybe coming down from the mountain and into the valley, experiencing trial, adversity, whatever word you want to use. And we what? Don't like it, right? I love what Lucado has said in one of his books. I don't know which one it is. He says, a wimpy faith will produce a wimpy God. I don't serve a wimpy God. How about you? He also says that you got to stop telling God how big your problems are and start telling your problems how big your God is. That's joy. That's contentment. That's understanding who lives within us. People, when will we start believing what this says? When will this world begin to see us living it? Instead of saying, yeah, I believe in God. Well, will you live it? Will you put Jesus on display? Will they see you pushing back the darkness? Because he's alive within you. Alive within me. And them seeing that. It's time we stop professing to be this and this and this and start living it. Being it. Taking it for real. Seriously. I got a little excited there. (laughs) We can be content right where God has us. Because it's his providence. And wherever it is he has us, it's good. We may not like it and see it, and we may not feel his moving or see his moving. He's moving. Building us transforming us into the image of his son. And hopefully that's what you want. We can be content right where God has us. Does that mean we forget about the idea of trying to make our situation better? For example, you're out of a job. Well, you're not going to go home and pout about it, sitting on the couch doing nothing. No, I encourage you to go looking for a job while you're praying, seeking God for the job. But all the while, still content, (laughs) knowing that God's got you. Amen? He might be growing your faith in that time. Bills might be due, but God's got you. I could go on and on and on with the, the, the experiences that Marilyn and I have had over the years about how God has always been there 
and come through. I'll never forget one of those times when we were years ago serving as youth ministers, so that you know that was years ago, right? <laughs> and in need, bills were due, and Marilyn and I had taken our bills, literally the paperwork, and laid them on the bed, and we, were, and we laid our hands on them and began to pray. As we were praying, there was a, somebody knocking on the window of our bedroom. <laughs> and we went and opened the door. It's a stranger. I don't know who this person is. And the stranger says, I don't know why, but God just told me to come in here and give you this money. Guess what? You know the rest of that story, don't you? I could go on and on and on about the faithfulness of God and how we can trust Him. We're being encouraged here to look at our situations through the eyes of the Lord, through the lens of biblical contentment, church. Recognize the presence of God in all of the details of your life. You belong to Him. See Him in it all. Our tendency, though, is to lash out, right? God, where are you? God, don't you care and love me anymore? God answers quite simply, I'm right here. I'm working, fulfilling my purposes, and yes, I love you. I care about you. Get your eyes back on me. Let me be your God. Let me be your Lord. I know what I'm doing. You can trust me. Accept each day with a sense of gratitude. Face each moment with a sense of assurance, knowing that whether it's easy or tough, you can endure it through Christ who gives you and me strength. It's time to stop focusing on what you want and focus instead on what you have. I'm not talking about stuff here. I'm talking about a person. That's what Paul is talking about. He says that whether he has little or a lot, it doesn't matter because he knows that he has what is most important of all. The presence of Jesus Christ in his life. And the assurance of his power to see him through. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Since we we can do all things, that is, be content in all circumstances through Christ, does this mean that we don't need anybody else? Is that what Paul's saying? Do we stop making our needs known through the vehicle of prayer requests? Are we to resist help from others? Paul is not saying that. In fact, I think most of you are aware and know, God takes great delight in meeting our needs. And in that little story I just shared it from our own lives, God did it, but he did it through a person. Right? He takes great delight. And I love this about the body of Christ. 
He takes great delight in meeting the needs of his people through his people. <laughs> what a great, what a great system. <laughs> what such a deal. Paul continues on to show how God provides for us through, through others for our needs, while all things come from God the Father through Christ by the power of the Spirit, the triune God as I've just said, takes great delight in using people to accomplish his purposes. Paul begins this section by commending the Philippians because they had shared in his troubles, he says. How? By never forgetting about Paul. Even at the low points after he left Philippi, they willingly and generously contributed to his ministry needs as he continued to travel on his missionary journey. Do you know what I love about this? Paul was with them, started a church in Philippi. He's hanging out with them. They're developing relationship. And all of a sudden, God moves on Paul, and Paul knows it's time for me to move to the next town. The Philippians don't cop an attitude. And say, oh, that's how you're going to be? You're going to leave us and go take care of somebody else? They don't do that. They do the opposite. They say, hey, we want to partner with you. We want to generously give what we can to help you further the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We want those folks in the next town, Thessalonica in this case, to have what we've just got. They are giving generously, joyfully. Because they have discovered that. Wow. In fact, Paul recalled a time when no other church, as we read here, in all of Macedonia, modern-day Greece, if you don't know what Macedonia is, had contributed, had not done anything about that with regards to helping him in his travels. The Philippians demonstrated their commitment to him and to the preaching of the gospel, not just a one-time farewell gift, but several gifts over the course of his ministry. They had begun donating to the cause immediately and continued to donate repeatedly. Their generosity overflowed. I like that word, overflow, don't you? Christ wants to overflow in us so that we can overflow his goodness to others. Note also that Paul was genuinely concerned about how the Philippians' commitment to giving would be a blessing back to them. Not just to himself, but a blessing back on them. Verse 17 and 18 says, Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. And I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice. Pleasing to God. Oh, I love that language. Right out of the Old Testament. What's Paul saying here? I love what he's telling us. God is speaking to us through the Apostle Paul that when you can get yourself out of the way and recognize a need and then respond, whether it be your time, the giving of your gifts, your talents, or even financially, 
but it's generously and it's being done with joy. Not because you feel like you have to, it's because you get to. You know what Paul's saying to us? When you do it like that, and it's coming from a place of, of compassion and joy and generosity, Paul is telling us it is being seen by God as a holy thing. When was the last time you thought about your giving, no matter what that looks like, in terms of giving time, serving financially? It's holy. That's what he's saying when he describes it as a fragrant aroma and sacrifice. A very, very holy thing. Wow. Because the Philippians gave freely and generously, Paul is saying, it's going to come back to you. God's going to bless you. That God's going to pour out on them an overflowing, abundant joy. Did you hear what I just said? Because immediately I think we, especially we Americans, begin to think dollars and cents. Well, it doesn't disclude that, but mostly their abundance is coming back from God because what they've been doing as a holy thing is going to be a holy joy. And hopefully you are at a place in your life if you're to pick between stuff and a holy joy in Christ Jesus, I'm hoping you're going with this. Because this will take you into eternity. This doesn't last. It's going to burn up and be gone. Verse 19 and 20. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Because of their worshipful, sacrificial, Christ-like contribution to the ministry, Paul was confident that the Lord would continue to bless them. He says, my God will supply all your needs. I think, unfortunately, this verse is often misquoted in misapplied by some Christians today based on their imagining a massive treasure house in heaven full of health and wealth and happiness just waiting for believers to unlock with faith open the floodgates of heaven and begin to receive riches to their heart's content allowing them to experience the good life. Somehow we it gets turned around and it becomes all about them. But that's not what Paul is saying. Although, again, does not mean that God won't bless you in these kinds of ways. He certainly does and can and does. But primarily, primarily, the idea seems to be that as we serve as faithful conduits of generosity toward those who, like Paul, have genuine needs, God will continue to supply what we need in order that we might be able to supply what others need. It isn't so that we can get richer and have more stuff. It's so that we've got more to bless others with. 
And as many have rightly observed, verse 19 says that God will provide for all your needs. It does not say that he will provide for all your greeds. Paul began this letter with a prayer. Now he brings it to a close with a doxology. To our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the gospel ministry, Paul and all others concerned, the church at Philippi, co-workers like Timothy, Epaphroditus, served with diligence and a determination. But none of these could take any credit or praise for their part that they played in the mission of God. All of that belongs to our God. Amen. All glory be to Him. God alone who supplies all things, deserves all the praise and all the glory. Verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to, the, to Caesar's household. Just real quickly, I don't think that is Paul saying that Caesar and his wife and his kids received Jesus. I, it, probably not but more like those who worked and served in Caesar's household had received the gospel of Jesus Christ, had become born again. The ministry, the gospel message was seeping through the Roman Empire in such a way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Did you notice that Paul at this point does not bother mentioning any names? I'd like to think it's because he knows that their names, our names, will be mentioned later by someone greater. What do you think? Can you imagine with me as we're standing around the throne, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Jerry Hicks! Come on up here. <laughs> Brian Frasky, get up here. Yeah. Kenny Guidry. <laughs> oh, Step forward. Woo, yeah. Being the good Texas boy that he is, he's going to say something like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> he goes up there. God speaking to Kenny. Kenny, all those years you served me. All those years you put up with Dave and Marilyn. <laughs> All those years that you not only knew, but made known how good I am. Right? Yeah, Some may have grown weary about that. I never did, Kenny. Enter, <laughs> good and faithful servant. Yes. Yes. Hey, listen. Are you living today with that moment in mind? Yes. I think we lose sight of that far too often. Because if we would keep that here in front of us, it's going to change how we live today. Live today with that moment in mind. What will you hear Jesus say to you? Paul doesn't bother mentioning them. Our names will be mentioned at a different time. Paul encourages every believer, reminding them of their status as being set apart as God's holy people for the service and for the worship of our God. Do you see yourself in that light? I pray you do. 
by referring to these believers as holy people. And that's what he's doing here. Paul is reminding the Philippians that they too were part of something much bigger than themselves. Like us, church. Amen? Bigger than, we're part of something way bigger than ourselves. In first century, he's telling the Philippians, there's a group of believers here in Rome, and just like you folks over there in Philippi, there's going to be a day. Though distance separates us now, it won't then. <laughs> we will be together in, our, in the presence of our King and Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Look for that time. Live for that day when we're all before the Lord and enjoying eternity together. Both Paul and the Philippians exhibit a high level of spiritual maturity in their Christ-like character expressed through contentment and generosity. So we might want to ask ourselves today, how can we demonstrate and follow their example? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Consider these three places to look in our own lives. One, look into your heart. And if need be, something needs to be let go, let it go. In other words, is there something in your heart that's stunting your growth? Something that's holding you down and keeping you from experiencing true contentment and joyful generosity? Perhaps it's a need for comfort rather than contentment or a desire for luxury rather than generosity. Maybe it's an unquestioned sense of entitlement instead of sacrificial benevolence. If so, let it go. Secondly, look out at your surroundings and then freely give. Sometimes we don't give our time, our energy, or financial resources because we're too busy with our own lives, right? Too caught up with ourselves to recognize that. The Philippians saw Paul's needs and responded immediately, continually, and faithfully. They didn't wait for another church to act first. They saw the need and they went for it. I love that. Thirdly, look up to God and express joy. And thanksgiving. Never forget to take time to look up and survey all that God has done in the past, is doing in the present, and what He promises for your future. And oh, what a future we've got, right, church? Hopeful. Don't forget to praise Him and to thank Him for His goodness. Rejoice in the good things that He has provided. Remembering that every good gift comes from Him. Every good gift. Am I talking about the good stuff only? The fun times, the mountaintop times? No. Everything. All comes from Him. Never forget that God loves to hear our words of gratitude and our expressions of praise. Look at your heart. Look at your surroundings. Look up to God. And then express joy and thanksgiving. I want to finish up this day with a, an old, some, just a few words from an old, old hymn written in 1858 by a Francis Havergal. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed 
that thou mightst ransomed be and quickened from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Father, we come before you this morning and we want to say thank you. As we've talked about that, we want to say it as a congregation, corporately, thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your provision, for your being for us, for your having our backs, even when it doesn't seem like it, you do. We want to say thank you for this this letter that we call the book of Philippians and the amazing instruction that it has brought to us with regards to being joyful people. I said a week or two ago that we are to be the happiest people on the planet. And it can be said, truthfully, we are to be, we should be, we ought to be. Help us, God, to arise above getting caught up with ourselves. Help us to get ourselves out of the way and to see you and to see others and to join in the mission of selfless humility, sacrificial living, and finding true, lasting joy. Because you live within us, we can be joyful. We can be content. We have all things in you, we say thank you. May we live it out. May we be all in for the rest of our days. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift